Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Pete, introduce yourself. Uh, well, my name's Pete Bradley. I uh, work for a company called Heather Goodman, who produce diagnostic equipment uh, and other workshop equipment as well, like uh, headlight aiming devices, that sort of thing. Um, uh, my start was in the British Army, where I repaired tanks. Really? Yeah, <laughs> repaired tanks. I've, I've been around engineering all my working life, really. Right. And um, I then left... Ended up being an instructor at the School of Electrical and Mechanical Engineering. Okay. And uh, enjoyed that. So I went and did another training job with the RAC, which is the Royal Automobile Club. Okay. And they are um, they're sort of the roadside assistants okay. uh, and did various jobs for various manufacturers, training jobs, that sort of thing. And also then got offered the job to go to Germany. That was in 99. Okay. So 2000, I... Sold my house, changed wife, changed jobs, changed country. Changed and everything been, all at yeah, once. Yeah, all at once, yeah, yeah. When, when you're going to do it, then why not the whole hog? And um, we, uh, I, I then moved out to Germany. Okay. I've been there ever since. Really? Uh, yeah. So I did 13 years with Hella. Okay. So I introduced into Hella um, technical service. So that was training, mm-hmm. hotline. Uh, technical information, and also started researching about diagnostics. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Because a lot of the people, right, we might have a lot of young listeners. Yeah, yeah. And and we were, today they had the shop owner panel and they talked about some of the shortages of of skilled tradesmen, right? Exactly, yeah. And so one of the things we hear a lot is, is, well, I don't want my kid to just grow up and be a mechanic, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But- but how did you make this transition? How did you end up at Hello? What was that transition like? How did you get there? Opportunity and good fortune, I suppose. But right. uh, when I left the army, I applied for a few jobs, okay. all in engineering, because I did my Bachelor of Engineering in the UK as well. And I had, I think, 20, 25 jobs that I could have done. Okay. One was in oil. <laughs> right, you know, could have been, could have been a grease monkey. Could have gone any which <laughs> way. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, so I chose the path maybe of least resistance because I'd done training for five years, so I knew how to do it. And yeah. I thought I'll just flop into this job and see if anything else comes up. I've been there ever since. Wow. You know, um, the transition to Hella um, was after the five years with the Royal Automobile Club, uh, where I was the training development manager. Okay. Developing training uh, and things like that. And that was also my first, I suppose, my first taste of association work because I was involved in uh, developing training courses for the Institute of the Motor Industry. Really? Yeah. So I actually actually, uh, developed the air conditioning qualification course in the UK that is still running today. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so like that that is such a – Interesting story. When you look at the training that you see here in the States, yeah. how does it compare to the training that you have there? What, what uh, well, I do uh, I do the World Pack STX. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob Mellor, who's yeah. Yeah, we're quite good friends. Uh, I've been there four or five times now. Okay. And I've run maybe three or four classes on ADAS, uh, Canvas systems, and also, what else did we do? Uh, I did a lighting one. Uh, before the matrix beam, <laughs> right. and also uh, battery electric vehicles. 
Okay. Uh, you know, they're four-hour classes, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, and you get as many students as you can get into the room. Uh, and what I see is, I don't, I don't think there's any difference when, you, when you're down at that technical level. Okay. Um, you've got to make the training fun. Otherwise, it yeah. doesn't yeah. really work. Absolutely. Um, so, it, yeah, the, the people in the audience over here um, tend to be shop owners uh, and technicians. See, I don't, I don't like calling them mechanics. Right. If you look at the technology in the vehicles today, and as you've seen, they're almost like a, a smartphone on wheels. Yeah, they know? really are. And you're dealing with all the electronic stuff. You've got to have a logical thinking mind. You've got to be able to problem solve. Yes. You're not turning spanners. You have to turn spanners at some time to change the component. Right. But that's not the skill. Well, and it's, it's starting to shift more and more oh, and yeah, more. Yeah. Well, know? in Germany, actually, they now have a, a, a qualif qualification called a mechatronica. Really? So it's this mix changeover from yep. being a mechanic wielding a spanner yep. or a screwdriver or a hammer sometimes, and going into the diagnostic side and working out what's wrong with the car. That's and, pretty interesting. Yeah. I in would fact, have never guessed that. In fact, in Ireland, <laughs> the University of Dublin has a degree in diagnostics. Really? <laughs> and we, that, uh, we lent them, uh, we had a, uh, an outlet in Ireland, and we actually lent them our diagnostic equipment to do the, to do this thing, and That's they go. Crazy. I mean, you know, when you talk about diagnostics, you know, you have to have a a philosophy or a principle of how to go about it, right? So you need to learn. You know, I mean, you see these things on LinkedIn and everything like this. You know, we need problem solvers and for banks or whatever. You yeah. know, nobody thinks of our industry, right? Our industry used to be called the Black Hand Gang, and the kids today, they don't see the real side of it. Yeah. And we're our own worst enemies with some of the adverts we put out there. You see a, a, a beefy guy right. with dirty hands. Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't get my hands dirty anymore. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Know? I let somebody else turn the spanner, I do the diagnostic, say, okay, re renew that component, boom, onto the next car, that sort of thing. Uh that's the way we teach the training as well at our training academy in Germany. Uh, we've got more training academies across Europe and also uh, South, uh, South Africa, Dubai, and also in Australia. So you have experience in all these different areas. Yeah. A lot of talk about the technician shortage. Do yeah. you see that there too? Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. You know, one of the things I've started to notice, and, and I'm talking to a lot of people. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. We're not just talking about automotive skilled mm -hmm. trade shortages. We're talking about no. skilled trade shortage across the whole. Yeah. And so I, you're seeing that there too. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, Australia is the... Fighting tooth and nail with incentives um, across Europe in Belgium and Holland, mm -hmm. 
they have government-supported training schemes. So even if a, a young person goes to the school, they have advanced training. So they learn the basics. Yeah. And then they learn a speciality. So they have a qualification tree where they can go, you can be a diagnostic specialist, you can be a gearbox, engine, whatever you want to specialize in. Right. Um, but it's all government funded. So we, even when they're in work, mm-hmm. if the if the technician wants to do a course or the manager of the shop says, yeah, I need you to go and do this course, uh, the government will pay for the course okay. and the loss of earnings for the shop. Really? Yeah. That is insane. The How only, do we get that set up here? <laughs> oh, oh, no. the, the, only th- the only drawback <laughs> is that you have to do this training, your training has to be registered. Okay. And that's where we fall down in the aftermarket because we sometimes train as a marketing tool. Okay. You know, I mean, I use our equipment when I'm training. Right. So it's a, it's a subversive marketing tool. Yeah. Um, so our training doesn't get recognized unless we use a breadth of different equipment right. to demonstrate. Um, but we do supply our training materials into them. Gotcha. Um, and it's, uh, uh, I suppose it's because there's so many different countries in Europe. Right. You know, you have a, ver- a variety of ways in which they're trying to attract the younger generation into the automotive industry. And I mean, you don't need to turn a spanner to be in the automotive industry. Right. You know, you can go and work for a, I mean, we've turned from a diagnostic company, Mm -hmm. traditional diagnostic company, producing a bespoke device with bespoke touchscreen and all of this sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. which when it goes wrong and your supplier's not there anymore, like we experienced with the chips, Mm -hmm. then your unit's dead. Right. So we've we've progressed now, and what we do is our hardware is a basic. It's it's a bit like a uh, an iMac, like a square box right. with all the connections, just like a computer. We've got more software engineers now doing the software than we had before. Right. So, you know, I think the 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 problem, or not the problem, but the issue is that the younger generation see the automotive industry as this oil change, right. quick lube, all of that. Yeah. And it's much, much wider. Right. You know, I mean, some of the software engineers don't even have an automotive background. Well, you know, I've, I've listened to you talk, right? And and you've talk, we've talked about a lot of things over the past couple of days yeah. from, from what you guys are doing with, with hybrid and battery electric vehicles Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. over there. And then, you know, you were in here talking with Scott Brown just a few moments yeah, ago. yeah. yeah talking about this new headlight yeah and and it's not even really new right like no i mean the technology is well, about six years old right yeah and and it sounds amazing to, for one you said matrix headlights yeah, yeah yeah in case somebody doesn't know what that is explain it a little bit all right okay have you got two hours yeah sure um <laughs> well essentially you have an array of leds okay and if you think about a, a projector Something like that's the the methodology. So you have a mirror that reflects the LEDs into the headlight. So right. then you produce a beam out of the headlight. Um, what you do then is you electronically control that array of LEDs that can be up to 120 per headlight, whatever the right. whichever way it's working. But you control those and you can dim them from zero to 100 each okay. one of these, let's say, 90 uh, LEDs. Right. So with that, having that, and it's not a 1%, 2%, it's a right. constant dim or whatever. So you can then dim the head, dim the LEDs to form whatever pattern you want on the road. I mean, you can write your name on the road. That's insane. Yeah. And there's, there's use cases now coming up where um, you have the headlight actually being your eyes because at night your eyes are probably the worst thing you use for for looking and for driving right you need light so it's actually taking over and highlighting so say uh, a person is still at the side of the road with dark clothing then the radar or the camera in the car will see that person and light them up and all of a sudden you can see them 
Everything else is normal, but you've just highlighted that one person or a rabbit or a deer. Or if you're in, or if you're in the in the northern Scandinavia, probably an elk or something like that, which, <laughs> right. which you have to stop for. <laughs> is it adjusting with adjusting nope. up and down with motors? No, nope. nope. so not at all. So just because there's so many LEDs yeah. on that, yeah, uh, mechanism. Yeah. So there. it goes through a projection module, so it's bounced off a mirror, okay. which flattens it out. So um, if you like an LED TV, okay. you don't see the individual LEDs, do you? No, no. So that's all done with mirrors and, and reflections. So it's the same principle with this, that the, the beam is reflected out so you don't get the pimples of light. It's a flat uh, light coming out. And then the projection module at the front actually enhances that and projects it along a lot further. I mean, LED technology has come on leaps and bounds. Right. Um, and in fact, there is a... There's a law being passed in, in Europe that from 2030, mm -hmm. you will not be able to buy uh, normal filament bulbs. Yeah. Really? That's not just the automotive industry, but across the board. Mm -hmm. Houses and everything. They want to be completely LED due to power savings and all that. Mm -hmm. They want to be completely LED by 2030. So if you've got a stack of light bulbs, send them over to Europe about 20, 2029. <laughs> you'll make a fortune. I'll save a couple boxes. <laughs> so there are no move, moving mechanisms on no this? No moving mechanisms, no. Wow. That's good. It's, it's yeah. just lowering the cost then of the well, it's, it's assembly? I, I mean, as soon as you remove moving parts from anything, you don't have any wear anymore. So it's not going to wear out. They're not cheap. But then again... You have well, a. What's not cheap? I mean, the yeah. a headlamp for an Infinity's $2,500. Right. But it's got a flipping motor to adjust, to do the turning yeah. and the he, the yeah. high beam. Yeah. That adds light. Then it's got the LED strip and all yeah. that. Well, you've got so, the weight factor as well. Yeah. Uh, and you've got the design factor. Right. You look at the headlights today, um, typical Audi with their bull front, you know, and the, how they, or BMW with their twin sort of angel eyes they used to call you know they're now flat leds right um and that sort of thing so it's all to do with design space you know yeah. so you can build a much smaller thinner headlight uh, and that sort of thing so it's uh that that is technology and also electric vehicles yeah okay because range on electric vehicles is paramount right so you use an led headlight and you've then reduced the power that that headlight takes. Well, and, and it seems that that system or that configuration could optimize lower light output and make it more effective where it's important for that light output to be. So uh, therefore, uh, using even less energy yeah. than what... I mean, it, it almost seems like 15 years ago, that would have been unheard of. Yeah. Right, I, and I, I was. Uh, Audi's been talking about LED and adding design. Well, two thousand and twelve was the first full LED. In fact, the first full LED headlight was in an Escalade over here. Really? Yeah, hmm. that was the first full, and that was two thousand and eleven. Well, there wasn't very there reliable. Wasn't, there were turns. Yeah, there wasn't the there wasn't the matrix <laughs> technology or anything like that. That's developed. Well, I, I was sharing a story that one of the first, like, uh, World Pack training classes I yeah. ever went to was one that was taught by a gentleman, and Ian Lebby was there. And Ian jumps in and starts talking about Mercedes-Benz body. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the multi-beam. Yeah. And there were yeah. people in that class who got up and said, if this is where we're going, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, I'm but old. it's exciting. It is. It, to me, you it's know, exciting. I mean, it's exciting until it breaks down. But that's this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's where we get the brunt <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. of the anger, right? Uh, yeah, and that's that is that. I mean, a, a case in point uh, when you talk about the independent aftermarket, um, we uh, Heller manufacturers, or it's now uh, a, a law in Europe that the manufacturer cannot prevent you from selling their headlight into the aftermarket. So, as an OE supplier on lighting, we can take the headlight, same tooling, everything. We're not allowed to put Audi on it, mm -hmm. uh, which causes an issue sometimes. But in essence, an Audi A6, I think it was, in Spain, mm -hmm. uh, they called me and said, Pete, uh, 
One headlight flashes and the other one's got the wipe function. How do we change it over? I said, well, we'll have to do it through remote service or pass-through or something like that. Yeah, we took it to the OE dealer and they said it's not an Audi headlight <laughs> because it hasn't got the Audi sign on it. Yeah. And that's the problems you're talking about where uh, the manufacturers are become the gatekeeper of these things. Um, but it does, you know, going back to your question about the technicians and how they have to deal with it, this is where that, that thought comes in. How, how can I do this? How can I get around it? That sort of thing. You know, the headlight costs about 5,000 euros. What's that? It's about, I don't know what the exchange rate is. 6,000, $6,500. Six, $6, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that, that was one of the interesting things that came Conceivably, up. this thing's more reliable. No moving yeah. parts. I mean, the most, the mo yeah, yeah. No, no moving parts there. So, you, I mean, you'll yeah. get 20 years service out of this thing. Easy. The, yeah. the, as we saw earlier today with that fine Volkswagen 1.8 liter, 20 years later, the rest of the vehicle will be in the scrapyard before right. the headlight goes out. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> are, you guys are on the. He's like, wait, wait, wait. wait I'm wait, friends wait. with Volkswagen. Shut up, <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it's, it's true. Uh, and uh, vehicle manufacturers have been now tasked in Europe, especially with the new legislation coming through about reusability, uh, replaceable parts. So, I mean, the parts, you can't replace a single LED. You'd be there all day right. with a soldering iron and stuff like that. But you can then replace the module or the control units hmm. uh, because they're totally sealed and they have thermal management inside them to keep the headlight cool. Another advantage of LED headlights is that the heat that the LEDs produce from the power consumption gets blown onto the lens right? so you don't get fogging anymore. Yeah, that's cool. Right. That yeah. is. And, you know, I, I think as we see technology advance at the rate that it is, Yeah. Not only is it, like you said, it's super exciting. Yeah. I, and I can see why some people would be hesitant. I can see why some people would yeah. push back a little bit, right? Yeah, but it tends to, I mean, we're talking, what was it? Uh, I think it was something like 35 million people in Germany have never been on the internet. Really? And they're called the, uh, the, the non-onliners or something, I think they call them. And uh, they're the 65 to... 77 age groups. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm 65 and I play about with my iPhone and my Android and I love messing about in the car, <laughs> making it do things, you know, and all this sort of thing, just in everything and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so if you buy into it and the younger generation, certainly with social media <laughs> and all that, the younger generation is certainly more uh, akin to accepting that term. You apply that to the automotive industry and you look at the technology behind some of the things that are going on, you know, they say, hey, wait a minute, this is exciting stuff. Right. You know, and I see the future really is definitely training. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you need to put the, these types of equipment, the diagnostic stuff or the technology into the hands of people early, right. like schools, colleges, all that sort of stuff. Get them used to using that. But as I said, our, our latest device runs off a tablet, which is browser-based. So I can use anything. I can right. use, you know, it's a bit small when you put it on a phone, Yeah, but you could because it's just browser-based. You know, one of the things that came up while we were here this weekend, and I, for some people it's been an uncomfortable topic, but, you know, <laughs> the, the manufacturers and, and many shop owners, many technicians in years gone by, yeah. not all of them, but many of them, they would pick up a tool. And yeah. it wouldn't do what they needed it to do. Right. And they would say, well, that needs to go to the dealer. This needs to happen. Oh, yeah. That needs to happen, right? And we're seeing this wave in the States. Of, Again. Uh, right? Well, we're seeing where these guys are saying, hey, um, I can't fix that car with the OE tool. I don't have access or I can't right. get the OE right. tool, yeah. cost prohibitive, whatever it is. Yeah. And they're coming up with ways around that. Right. And one of the big conversations that happened here was, hey, there's a lot of people using these hacked tools or yeah. these – yeah. Clone tools or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. and and I think it poses a new challenge in in some ways for that software market or for the OE. There's guys in the U.S. now doing EEPROM, right, yeah. where they're taking the board apart yeah. and they're saying, okay, yeah. I can't get this component. 
And that was one of the things that Brian Pollock said. I, I thought that was really interesting the other night. We were at dinner and he said, you know, he said, it's one thing for you to tell me yeah. that, hey, listen, you need to buy the new module right. to fix this client's car. Yeah. He said, it's another thing for you to tell me that you need to buy this new module and it's not available for eight months. Right. And by the way, you have to program it and you have to pay this much yeah. for our software. Yeah. And he said, you've made it to the point that I have no choice but to go around you. Right? You can't yeah. be mad at me for going around you if you've not given me an option, right? Like, I've right. got to do something different. Well, how do yeah. you see that? Well, um, in my presentation, I showed you that how we're involved in the laws and uh, everything in Europe as our association. Yeah. Uh, and there we have this influence. And we prevent or try and prevent that sort of thing. And the legislation, actually, our type of approval for the vehicle, which includes RMI, which includes... Uh, software updates, all of this sort of stuff, is already legislated for that they cannot prevent us from doing it. Okay. They put other blocks in the way. Okay. Like cost. Yeah. Like how to gain access, because the law doesn't provide for that. Right. They just say you have to make it accessible. Right. Well, I can say you can come to my house, but you've got to fly a 1,000 miles and don't forget to turn the alarm off and there's a dog in the backyard. You right. know, you're going... That's a lot of barriers I've got to yeah, get over. Yeah, I've got to navigate this. To, to navigate this thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's what's happening in Europe. But, you know, uh, we're in the independent aftermarket. We're not OE. Right. Uh, and we will always find a way. Everybody yeah. always fi fi finds a way. Whether it's legal or whether it's safe and secure is right. another matter. I, and and that, that's what it comes back to for me, right? Because it, at one Legality point— Legality is irrelevant. Well, I'm just saying. You just go to the country that doesn't care. Right. Develop it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, re-engineering, um, we used to do a lot of re-engineering, and it's it's a an accepted practice in Europe. It's actually in the law that right. you can do re-engineering, re as long as you then re-engineer it and change it. Yeah. Not the actual functionality, but how. Uh, so that's that's acceptable. Um, but now with the vehicles, with the ADAS systems, with the lighting systems I've just told you about, and you're putting software onto the vehicle that may be the latest version or may not be the latest right. version, you you can affect the safety. In Europe, we've got these five mandatory ADAS systems that have just come into force, which is uh, driver drowsiness awareness, uh, okay. lane change assist, um, emergency braking, they were thinking of uh, putting a, an alcohol test in the car as well, but they... Um, They've talked know. about doing that here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, that was then not scientifically, it, it would be possible, but you get a lot of false yeah. readings. Yeah. So they disbanded with that. Um, but because those are now mandatory, the manufacturers are saying, right, you can only use our software. You have to use our software. And we say, well, in the aftermarket, you have to provide us access to that software. Yeah. yeah. So that's why things like remote services pass through and some of the things about over the air, you know, in the automotive industry, phones and telecommunication networks, hello, well, what, do we, what do we need that on cars for? Now, you can't, you can't have a car without it. Right. You know, right. telematics units are transmitting data. Uh, to the cloud. Who's writing this code? Is it the OEs uh, internally or are they buying, you know, the modules made by Bosch? Bosch right. developed the software then? Um, yeah, I mean, the manufacturers don't put all their eggs in one basket. So there are companies in Europe, uh, Softonic, I think, is one. Okay. Uh, they supply the Volkswagen Audi group with all the software. Even though it's a maybe a Bosch module, it's Softonics software. So if the manufacturer says, I'm not very happy with Bosch anymore, and this is a cheaper module, I can slap the software straight on it, and away we go. Gotcha. So that's how they, that poses a problem in the aftermarket, because then you've got to make sure that the module you're replacing is the module for that vehicle, right. and it's got that software on it. Yeah, and we've seen that. We have seen that in cars that come into the shop. Yeah. Where, yeah. where it, it's one or the other, and you have these options. And you call the dealer, and in some cases, the dealer doesn't even know. And there's yeah. no indication of which it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm sure you've had that happen. Yeah. I hate with those cars. Those are the worst. 
Well, and and so doesn't that pose an issue? It, it maybe not. I know it poses an issue for us, right? Yeah. In in the aftermarket, but doesn't it pose an issue eventually to the manufacturer because you yeah. can't say. Hey, I'm not going to give you access to this. And right. oh, by the way, the part's not available. And uh, you know, eventually you get to the point that the car can't be repaired yeah. if you continue to push that. Yeah. Now, I, I thought it was really interesting. There were gasps in the room today when somebody said, "Listen, I'll find a way around. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, fix I, the car, no yeah, matter yeah. what. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. not going to stop." I, I can't wait for three days for a piece of information. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, and that's, I mean, that's our job. And it, uh, like I was saying before, uh, the automotive industry has broadened with lots of players come into it that would be wouldn't you know google android and apple uh, apple with their car play all that sort of thing and uh you see the the manufacturers developing their infotainment systems all on their own yeah now i use an android so i'm going to use my google maps You're dang right because i've got all my favorites in there i want to go there bing right. tell, tell the car i need to go there yeah you know and that that's another the flip side of this with the technicians into the workshop where we started with this, you know, they they would be able to fix that problem. Yeah. You know, or there's a Bluetooth connection problem. Or there's, you know, normal normal what you call a mechanic. Right. I don't know. But you put you put somebody, you know, the yeah. iPhone generation yeah. in there and bang, 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 you know. It makes sense. The, yeah. and, and and I think we've created these logical pathways. Yeah. Right, and and the way a software works, yeah. I've, I've I've talked with a lot of software engineers, and they talk about, hey, we we use very common practices, yeah. right? And and you look at an Apple, it flows a little bit differently than an Android, yeah. But the, it's the, the user interface, the exactly, what's behind it, same. absolutely, the yeah. the the thought process, and yeah. and really understanding the human mind, how we go through it, and that is exactly where the vehicle manufacturers fall over, <laughs> because they believe they have to develop everything for that car themselves. Right. Elon Musk went, yeah, okay. Right. And disrupted the whole thing. And, and all, all the other manufacturers said, oops, what's going on here? Right. Uh, we need to do something about this. Um, you know, so uh, we had big fights in Europe about access to the, uh, to the uh, HMI, the human, human um, what's it called? Human interface. Right. The uh, infotainment system. Right. Because he said, well, if we put an app on a phone, why can't it be accessed in a bit? Oh, well, you're dealing with our infrastructure and our software. I mean, the manufacturers have had years, and I think it was Ford, probably Henry, that said something about it. You can have this, you can buy a, our car, but it's black. Right. You can use it in one right. color, you know. And, yeah. and that attitude has gone through. I mean, it was an advert years ago on Ford. It may be your car, but it's still our baby. Right. Installing this thing of this is ours. Yeah. You know, but nobody owns an iPhone. I can give you my iPhone or my Android and say, yeah, hey, go off and use it, you know, and this sort of thing where you can have it, you know, whatever. Right. And you know how to use it. Yeah. You know, you drive a Mercedes, I drive a BMW. I say, well, you can borrow my car if you want. Oh, it's a BMW. I don't know how to work that one. I don't even know how to start it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start. Where's the button to start it? You know? Right. So all of these things that are happening now and the manufacturers need to wake up. Yeah. I'm not saying they should all build the same car, yeah. but use common practices. Use I, things that are available that we in the aftermarket can deal with. I, I talked to uh, Mark Allen from Audi a while back, and he said, I, I thought it was just the coolest statement. He said, Audi solves a consumer problem with Audi engineering. Yeah. That's what we do. He's right. like, if, if we all solved the, the consumer's problem with the same engineering and the same culture and the same attitude we'd all be driving f-150s right yeah, yeah, like, come exactly. on yeah. okay and, maybe and, not in europe too big but. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you know it was so neat hearing him say that because it was more about the perspective that that the car still has to be drivable the car yeah. still has to be usable the, the car has to be user-friendly yeah and and there's there's limits and boundaries of where we can push that but at the end of the day the consumer has to want the car right the consumer wants to drive the dang car the right. consumer has to enjoy the car. Right. And if we get to a point that we're all so used to that phone, right? And the way that phone works and the way the technology in our life works now. Yeah. And the manufacturer's five miles over here in a different world. And and I, I think for the most part, they're trying. They really are trying oh, to yeah. capture yeah. the yeah. consumer's well, mindset. High, what incentive do they have to make it 
fixable. Uh, well, they've never made them fixable. <laughs> that was yeah, the whole yeah, point. Yeah, you know, I mean... But uh, they don't have uh, any incentive to do so. They, they want the car to be functional for whatever warranty period. Right. And then, and then go get another one. Yeah. Look, at Apple does that. Yeah. They make them great until the new one comes out. And all of a sudden, your phone gets slower. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, going we're, saving, yeah. we're saving the battery. That's what we're doing. Yeah. No, you're not. You're yeah. forcing me to go get the new one. Yeah. The manufacturer is going to do the same thing. But, I mean, it's an interesting point uh, about the way phones, and you can, you can actually make a, make a comparison or a, an analogy between them. You know, my phone is getting slower, my car's getting slower, or it's, it's feeling tight, so I'll change the car, I'll change my phone. You change your phone a lot easier than you do changing your car sure. the investment. Yeah. The shift now is to lease it. I lease my car. Why would I want to own it? I did when I was young. I wanted to own my car. This is my car. The attitude has changed to that, I think. Yeah. You don't need to own that car anymore. And the younger you are, the more that is prevalent. You know? right. uh, so you get this shift. And, and you know, I, it's, it's my method of getting from A to B. So right. you talk about mobility instead of owning a car. Yeah, it's a means to an end. It's not yeah. an investment. It's not a... And it's never been an investment, but I, I think that... that oh, I don't know. Shelby GT is an investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. I think, you know, he, uh, you're right. At, at some point, everybody kind of wants to own it, or at the very least, avoid the payments. Yeah, yeah. But if they, if they get comfortable... I mean, Cadillac rolled out their subscription-based ownership or right. this su- subscription, and all the manufacturers are trying subscription models. Yeah, they've all been rejected. But I mean, they're not going to keep trying. Oh, I, I'm so sure they're going to keep trying. And and so the planned obsolescence is probably the most interesting factor of that. And you know, me and you talked the other day. Yeah, and we were talking about EV. Yeah, and and. You know, we, we've heard these stories. So the hurricane that hit Florida a while back, and yeah. all of a sudden the Teslas had more range than they had, right? And and who was it? Was it the car and driver story yesterday? Were you in there for that? And he was talking about how they raided a Tesla. It was a Tesla 3 had just come out, and they right. raided it very, very poorly. The consumer reports, yeah, the breaking, the breaking power. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and all yeah. of a sudden he said, hey, go back out to the car, and the car's been sitting in the lot ever since they did the report, and they retest the car, and it's like everything they said has been fixed, Yeah, right? And so you're kind of working on something neat in Europe on this front of, A, selling used EVs. Yeah. Because that that was really interesting to yeah. me. Because I don't well, think any of us uh, have thought about that. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's two things in there. There's the updates with right. a uh, what well, um, I can't remember which manufacturer it is now, but they do their updates through the charging system. I think it's BMW. Okay. So if you've got one of their boxes, uh, their bo- that charging box is connected to the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's then connected to the car, so they just drop. Software updates and check the car while it's charging. Right. You know. Um, but you talk about that sort of the new ones. Right. If it's connected to a non-BMW charge point, then it's not going to do those updates because they haven't got access to that network. Um, but when you're talking about the, the actual battery, uh, the batteries are coming on leaps and bounds. They're getting smaller. They're getting higher capacity, which gives longer range. Right. Uh, and... Most batteries are only using 80% of their power. Wow. All right. Because exactly Tesla had a longer range. They just allowed it to increase the capacity to 90%. Why did they do that? For Because of the thermal management. Okay. Because the batteries have to be cool. So the battery now becomes like your internal combustion engine. You know, you go to buy a second-hand car, the first thing you say is, how many miles has it got on it? Oh, it's got 200,000. Oh, right. Oh, price is coming down then. Price is coming down. It will be the same with EVs, but okay. you haven't got an engine that you can say it's... So what is the highest uh, wearable part is the battery. Okay. So you ask how many miles has it done, and it says, you know, fifty or 60,000. You can't relate that to what the battery state is. The reliability. The reliability of that battery. So second-hand cars 
will now have to be evaluated and there will there is going to be a law passed in in Europe okay. where on the on the uh, uh, when you sell a car you put the mileage and all this sort of thing or dealer service like there will be for EVs and plug-in hybrids there will be a SOH value okay. state of health how healthy is the battery okay. uh, this is determined by lots of factors uh, capacity charge rate, how often it's been charged and all this. And all these things are, are logged anyway. Right. So in Europe, there's going to be a new uh, Euro, Euro 7 for our emissions. And in that now are battery electric vehicles state of health. So five-year-old cars must have more than 80% state of health. Eight years and older, 70%. So, and there's a formula and everything how how to actually do that. So manufacturers have now got to put into their battery electric vehicles some form of a informing the customer about it, which they don't do properly anyway, or an independent assessor or the second-hand car dealer must have the ability to ascertain the state of health because he has to put it on the sales docket. Right. This EV has done 80,000 miles, but has a state of health of 85%, 90%. You're going to buy that car because it's way over for the mileage. Right. You know, but if it says 60%, he's not going to be selling that car. Right. That's where then the next rules come in, the, the recyclability, reusability, and there's another word begins with R, and I've forgotten what it is now. Oh, repairability. Okay. Uh, those three are being worked on at the moment where there's going to be a standard set. So if the... Second-hand car dealer gets a car, uh, uh, electric vehicle, with a 60% state of health, first thing he's going to do is get a new battery, expensive new batteries. So you buy a recycled or reused right. or repaired battery. And that's the stage we're at the now, trying to get the battery manufacturers, who are not car manufacturers, right. it's LG, it's Panasonic, uh, a couple of others, I've forgotten who they are now, um, but so much so that they're saying, no, you can't, they're sealed. You can't repair them. Well, you can. It's got bolts on it. This is, right. we'll find yeah. a workaround. We'll find right. a workaround. So they're saying now you have to supply the cells as a spare part for the battery. Really? Yeah. So in our training academy, we've got, uh, um, I think it's a Volkswagen Up battery that we dismantled. And you can then take the battery, the battery packs. You then have to, when you've renewed the battery pack, you have to then commission the battery again. So it's like it's like an initial charge on an old lead acid battery where you did this initial charge. Yeah, it's like that. It's called I can't remember the name now, but it's like configuring the battery, almost like balancing it. Balancing that's that's the word balancing. Yeah, yeah. so it balances the battery, um, which is the cells all give the same. Everything. Right. So that will certainly be taking off. And there'll be lots of companies springing up doing recycling, reusable, repairable uh, well, batteries. You know, of all the talk there is about EV, right? And there's 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 frustrations on one side. People yep. love them on the other Got side. It. The grid won't handle it. This will, you know, that's that and the other. I, that creates a whole new picture yeah. of understanding the reliability of what you're buying. Right? Because, yeah. I, I mean, with a, with a gas engine or a diesel engine, we can't really see. We can say it's got 100,000 miles on it. Right. Statistically speaking, yep. these live for X and it should be okay. Yep. But we really can't see. That is a whole different level of insight yep. and a whole different level of data collection. I mean, the charge cycles, all of that information yep. 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 is really painting a picture on how the car was driven. Was it yep. was it driven in town short trips? And um, That's not an issue for, for electric vehicles. Okay. Uh, short trips is not an it's issue. Probably just heat. Well, that, well, that, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying, though. Is it? It paints a picture of how the car was driven, though. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Steering, yeah. suspension components, the whole nine yards. Like yeah. if you, you know, different environments create different wear on a vehicle. It, it. How would you take that algorithm and turn it into something that, uh, or that information put it in an algorithm and understand it at a higher level? But it, I think, long term, it could create a whole image of vehicle reliability we've never thought of before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, at some point the electric motor will probably 
suffer. Um, but it's certainly the battery that people are concentrating on. Um, and I've been driving electric vehicles now for, uh, privately for the last four years. Okay. Uh, i3, BMW i3, which didn't manage to take off over here because of some issues. I understood. Um, but you've got weird cars. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great little car. Um, beats Porsches from the lights <laughs> for a hundred meters and yeah. then it's gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> great talk at low speed, but, um, uh, the, 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 uh, climate has a big effect on electric vehicles. Mm. So, you know, if you've got, uh, too hot a climate, then you've got cooling and issues with the battery. Mm-hmm. Charging's fine because it will charge a lot quicker because it's warm and everything like that. Colder climates, opposite effect. Yeah. So that's another issue that the, the, the manufacturers are trying to tackle with the battery manufacturers to see if they can solve this climate issue. I, I had some friends who had Leafs, <coughs> and they were talking about the fact that uh, I guess it was the original Leaf that did not have a cooling system or it was a right. adequate cooling system. And, it, man, they were like, hot days, you can forget it, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. might as well park that bugger. You cannot drive it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. no-go. Yeah. Yeah. So – are you, is Europe ahead of us? And I, I think I know the answer to this, but is Europe ahead of us on implementation of this EV and the infrastructure that goes with it? Um, that's a yes and no question. Because I would say we're ahead on the legal way to make the manufacturers put this <laughs> uh, uh, state of health. And by the way, state of health is, a, is not a real value because it's calculated through a whole algorithm. So as long as the manufacturers use the same algorithm, then you get good, comparable states of health. But they're not going to do that. Right. They're going to say, oh, no, it's our job. We'll do it. <laughs> so, you know, have you got the faith in saying, okay, well, this VW uh, it says it's got a state of health of 85, and the BMW next to it has done the same set of miles, but it's only 82. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference? That, but... On a legal standpoint, we're we're ahead, I think, because of this drive in Europe to have uh, this carbon neutral uh, thing by yeah. 2035, which they've revised now again. They're allowing the manufacturers to produce normal combustion engines, but they must use a climate neutral fuel, which they've had in the back pocket for years. Anyway, the, different hold, story. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't just drop that in. The, the manufacturers <laughs> have had... A carbon neutral fuel or the – who had the carbon neutral fuel? The, well, it was probably developed by one of the fuel uh, fuel manufacturers. What is it? Uh, sorry? What is it? It's a, it's a lean burning fuel, let's say. So it, the, the thing is you've got – on one side you've got the climate issue. On the other side you've got the emissions. So this is like an emission low – I'll have to read it up again because they only decided that last week. But um, they've had, I mean, it's the same as hydrogen. You know, they've been able to do hydrogen-propelled vehicles for years. Yeah. I, 2008, I saw a BMW with the hydrogen fuel cell sure, in it. Sure. It, it. The thing about these developments is the manufacturers don't want to do it because it's expensive, like all of the um, emission regulations. Oh, we've got to put this on. We've got to do EVAP. We've got to do this. All of these things that were adding to the car, which weren't improving the drivability of the car, but in fact, reducing the drivability. Right. So then they had to do something with the engine to make it that it was still had that drivability, but at the same time have all of this stuff on there, yeah. preventing all of the bad stuff coming out of the exhaust, you know. Um, so, and, and the, uh, the, the ruling... Europe about 2035, you're not allowed to produce or sell any more uh, internal combustion engines. And all of a sudden, oh, but we've got this fuel. Oh. <laughs> oh okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Then we'll, we'll, we'll revise that then. So they've watered it down again. And I, I think that's something that lawmakers and policymakers, they have a difficult job. Yes. But sometimes they need to stand by what they say and say, no. If too late for no other reason than just saying we're going to do what we said we're going to do. Yeah, this train has left the station and you're not changing its direction, but they do. Do you think that they're allowing that change because they look Mm -hmm. at infrastructure, they look at another piece of it, and they say, "Oh man, 
you know, we promised this, but uh, no. I mean, you know, some of the things that come out, but uh, back to your question about infrastructure, um, big cities, fine. No problem with the power grid, all of that. Uh, but you get out into the country and it gets less and less and less. And actually in Germany, uh, you're only allowed to do 11 kilowatt charges. So your car's sat there for quite a while. Right. Um, another thing with durability um, that I was going to mention, but we changed the subject a bit, uh, the fast charges, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, I can get my car. The, the new ID advert is, I think, 20 minutes or five minutes, something. Yeah, yeah. You know, bad for the battery. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like me trying to feed you a 20-pound steak right. in a second, you know, exactly. shoving it in there, and you're going to go, Ooh. Right. You know, so it's, um, uh, and that's, in fact, in the Tesla manual, it says that if you do three fast charges, you must do five normal charges afterwards to balance the battery back again. Very so, so that's very the, telling. Yeah. But the infrastructure, yeah, you've got to read the back page on that or the small print. Well, I, <laughs> the, the consumer goes and gets in the car and just expects the car to do exactly. whatever they expect yeah, yeah, yeah. it to do. Yeah, they don't yeah. read. They don't. Nope. You know, we were talking to somebody earlier talking about the, the new technology in the car. Actually, it was yesterday. It was the keynote speaker from today. And and talking about he gets in the car and drives it. Right. Well, he doesn't understand what all why, of these why, features why are. Should it? Yeah. Right. And, and you know, the terms of service, David always loves to point out that nobody reads the terms of service, right? Like, yes. Why are you asking me again? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I gave my life away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my bad. Yeah. Uh, they got my firstborn. Shoot. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't read. Sorry, guys. You know, and and I, I think that that is something that, that, you know, when you transition to a new technology. Yeah. But it's not only in the automotive industry, it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, and um, uh, getting back to the original, you know, one of the original ones where would you, would you say to a young person, get into the automotive industry? I'd say yes, because it's yeah. exciting. But maybe not uh, in a workshop, but maybe in some form of development. But you need to start in the workshop to progress to that, to get yeah. the experience of what happens at the sharp end. Yeah. Yeah, what happens when this vehicle fails? And then when you then progress up and say, right. oh, I'll go and work for a software company that's doing automotive because I've seen things there that could be improved. Yeah. You know, and take that knowledge with you into what could, what, I mean, I didn't plan this, you know, yeah. I didn't plan to be sat in, where are we, Albuquerque, right, <laughs> doing right. a podcast yeah. 25 years ago. Uh, you know, it just sort of happened. And I think people, the younger generation, have a lot of choice. Yeah. Um, but if somebody said to me, persuade me to come into the automotive industry, well, we've been talking about it for the last hour. All the technologies, all the new things that are coming out, self-driving cars, all those things, electric vehicles, you know, all of those things are just something that's exciting and, you know, you can get your teeth into it. And if you can yeah. improve that, by going down that career path. And that's that's got to be a good thing. Definitely. And I, I think that that is so much of, of what we're missing is they don't understand that they can have an impact. Right. Right? Yeah. And and I, I don't think parents understand that they can have an impact. I think parents yeah, but think they want that, them, they want them to be lawyers and politicians. And all. You know, we've got too many of those people <laughs> we, <laughs> earning a lot of money and, uh, and not really saying anything. I mean, I... Right. I, yeah. Well, and and what, why is it that we want them to do that? We want them to have a good paying job. We yeah. don't want them to break yeah. their backs like we did. We, you know, there's all these variables. But <clears throat> if you don't understand what the automotive industry is today, yeah, right, you have to take a hard look at what it is because it is not what it was. No. Now, it, it, listen, there are still guys out here grunting in repair shops. Yeah, there are still hard times in in the automotive repair world. There's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. But but. The future looks much different than it's ever looked before, right? And and the slide yesterday, we've talked about this in the past. The slide yesterday said there's going to be more change in the automotive industry in the next 10 years than there has been in the last 100 years. And we've been saying that for the last 25 years, yeah. right? And yeah. I think it's accelerating. I think it's getting well, I, faster and faster. Well, I saw a, I saw a graph, actually, of um, when this kick point started, and it was the Industrial Revolution. and. It starts like this, and this is the whole yeah. thing. And then it just goes, 
Yeah. And I think it was we advanced in the last 10 years more than we advanced in the last 50. Right. So five times yeah. the rate of advancement that we had before. Right. Um, you know, something's going to fall over. <laughs> I, you know, I, there was a, a keynote, uh, or it wasn't a keynote, it was a TED Talk a long time ago, and it was by a guy named Ken Robinson. Right. And I thought it was so interesting because he was talking about how we educate children today. Yeah. And he was talking about we still in, educate them like we did in the Industrial Revolution, and it was that they were on an assembly line, and the most important thing was their age, and, and that's how we look at it. Yeah. And And I think about that a lot. Because I wonder if a lot of the problem with the skilled trades, a lot of the problem with the automotive and the reason people aren't getting into it has way more to do with how we're educating people and how we're setting the values and the, the yeah. keys that they look at yeah. than, than anything else, than the trade itself. Yeah. And, and you know, hearing you say, hey, we've got the same skilled trade shortage you have. Yeah. And and for so long we've been trying to pinpoint what the issue is here in the states and say well it's probably this or it's probably that yeah, it might be yeah, pay it might yeah, be this yeah. it might be that but I mean at this point we're throwing darts at the wall well, and hoping we well, get I, the right one. I mean I was in uh, I was in Beirut not I was in Beirut doing some training uh, actually uh, for some diagnostics and I was talking to one of the guys uh, who owned a shop in a multi-story car park right uh, but it was clean as a whistle and he had all the diagnostic stuff there really good. And we were talking to him, and he's and just general chit-chat, really. Yeah. And uh, he has four children, two okay. boys, two girls. And he's sending them all to Canada to study and live in Canada. Really? Because there's no future here. Right. You know, that's the sort of attitude of the shop owners who are seeing all of this. Right. Get in, like you were saying before, I'm not going to do this thing anymore. This is too complicated for me. Right. Not uh, not saying, come on, kids, you can take this business over and take it to places yeah. I have I haven't been. Yeah, they're not doing that. The right. you know the majority are saying, right, I'm going to send you to so and so, so and so, so and so. We'll sell this, and you can go and study and be a doctor or whatever. Right, uh, that sort of thing. Um, you do get the other side. I've seen the other side as well, especially in Dubai. Okay, young entrepreneurs had nothing to do with the automotive industry. Goes in, buys a shop, and decks it out with everything. And he's repairing Lamborghinis, Bentleys, uh, Jags, and all of those cars, high-profile right. high cars, because it's a country to be in to do that. But he's got all the equipment, everything. He yeah. says, and his technicians do, I think he said, two to three days a week, uh, two to three days a month training. Wow. Obligatory. They have, right. they don't do the training. They, they're out. They're not out, but they... A docked pay. I okay. mean, they have a different system over there, but right. he's managing it like a business. Yeah, you know, and not like oh, I've just flopped into this auto repair business because it was easy, and now it's got complicated. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, I, I think that the exposure to the business, right? So if you're if you're in the business, if you're a repair technician, yeah. if you are a shop owner. The exposure to that, what do you want for your kids? You want a better life than what you have, right? right? At the end of the day, I think that's what we're all working for. Yeah. And so I think the exposure to the business, the exposure to the problems and the struggles, like when you're really thinking about your children, you're focusing on what could be very best for them. How can yeah. I set them up for success? And so being exposed to the problems, right? There's days. I mean, we're shop owners, right? And we experience stuff sometimes then. It's just like, I cannot believe this is happening. This yeah. sucks. And so when you, you experience but, that, what yeah. do you do? You try and protect them from that, but it's not a 30,000-foot view that, that says you that, can build generational wealth with this. Right. Yeah, uh, you're right there, but I don't think that's what you've just described is it happens everywhere in every job. Yeah. You're always going to have a fallover or you're going to lose the business or you're going to make a bad decision. Um, you know, and the way in which I see repair shops in – Europe developing is more in the lines of what used to be over here where you had your transmission shop, your engine yeah. shop. Uh, now we're seeing workshops saying, I'm going to do VAG. That's it. Okay. Nothing else. And that creates then opportunities for others to say, well, if you're doing VAG in this area, I'll do Ford and maybe some French, right. French plate. You don't have a rear anyway. Uh, and then they form a cooperation. So if a Renault or a, or a Ford drops into the 
VAG, he just says, okay, no problem, we'll take it. He takes it on and he gives it to his friend in, in the foreshop. Right. You know, that's the way in which we see it developing because of the diversity in the vehicles between the manufacturers. Are we too adversarial for that, David? Ah. I think we're too adversarial. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but that's... If you're yeah. highly specialized, it wouldn't be that bad. No. But there are too many generalists. I, I, actually, I actually thought about setting up a business of a diagnostic specialist, all vehicles diagnostic specialist, right. buying all the tools, buying all the um, um, aftermarket stuff, and just offering services. If you can't fix it, I'll come and I'll fix it. But you can't see what I'm doing. Right. The car is mine and you put blinds around it. Hmm. And I'll get it fixed, or I'll tell you what you need to do to fix it. Right. This is the price per hour or whatever, and away you go. But I've stuck to the job I'm in now, so. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it worked out pretty well for you. <laughs> it did, yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.